This is Company. I'm Sky Manson. Company is a podcast produced in rural Australia, bringing together ambitious women from the bush, the cities, and all over the world. My guest today, I think, is totally living the life. Textile designer Victoria McGrain's business is The Scenic Root, and she uses the Australian outdoors and the minute of nature as the subjects of her designs, which are mostly fabrics as well as hand-illustrated prints and cards. I discovered Victoria when she was living and working in her bus from Brucetown in remote Queensland. I was absolutely astounded by the beauty of what she was producing from such a remote remote location and knew that one day I'd have to interview her. And so here we are. We live about the freedom of living with so little possessions, just two cups and two plates. We share notes about doodling and she tells me about beautiful memories of making dolls clothes with her seamstress grandmother, an eternal influence for her. We, um, my partner and I had always dreamed of traveling Australia and um, I, everything just sort of came together. So it was possible to do. And I saw a bus on Gumtree. Um, We were living in a really small outback town at the time called Burke Town. Um, And his contract was coming to an end. And yeah, we just um, thought if not now, when? So we um, bought the bus sight unseen and picked it up and decided to travel Australia and live and work in the bus full time. So, yeah, so far, like obviously because of COVID, that was a little bit of a dampener on the plans. Um, But, yeah, we started off in um, Cairns and then we've been up up and down the East Coast quite a bit, as far north as Cooktown, and then all the way back down to Sydney. And yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about living in Burketown, where it is <laughs> and, and how you ever ended up there? Yeah, so Burketown was a really fascinating experience. Um, we were, prior to that, we were living in Coffs Harbour and we, I don't know, we were just open for an adventure. Um, we we were kind of open for anything. And my partner who works in local government um, got offered a really good job opportunity that he was really interested in up there. Um, And it just, it just appealed to us to just go live somewhere really remote and really different. Um, And we'd done a little bit of outback traveling before we used to have a four wheel drive. So we'd seen a little taste of the outback and it, yeah, it just really appealed to us. So um, I was running my own business and I thought for me, it would be a real challenge. I was like, well, let's see if I can run my business, you know, from such a remote place. So we just kind of did it and it all happened very quickly. Um, we sold our house within a month, um, got rid of a lot of our possessions and kind of packed what we could into our four wheel drive <laughs> and moved up to Burketown. Um, and it's, it's a really tiny place. It's about seven hours north of Mount Isa. Um, in like golf country Um, yeah and it was just yeah I'm so glad that we did it like it was really challenging and super different but also I think 
an amazing experience and also um, excellent preparation for COVID because when everybody else was getting used to lockdown, I was like, oh, I've got this. <laughs> so, And remote working. Um, yeah. Many of my listeners are, are farmers and are rural women and stuff. So to, paint me a picture of Burktown. How big is it? And what kind of people live there? And and how did you settle in? Like, how did they, did they embrace you with open arms or did it take a bit of time to, to crack the locals? Um, a bit of both. I mean, most people just embraced us with open arms straight away. Like everybody there was so warm, um, so kind, like, but also people there are very tough because they have to be, you have to be extremely resilient to live there. Um, the town itself has, I think about, between 150 and 200 people um, that live there. Um, and then there's a lot of stations around um, around the area where people, you know, will come into Burktown. Um, but that's where the main, like, council building and stuff is. Um, and then smaller towns around, like Gregory Downs and, and things. Um, but, yeah, I just felt so welcomed by the people there. And, like, I was immediately, you know, asked to come to some CWA meetings and like just got really involved into the the community um, and yeah, the community spirit. And it's just like a really tightly knit, beautiful place. Um, But yeah, it has, you know, it definitely has some challenges living there and that took some time to get used to. And um, I just made me understand, um, I don't know, maybe understand resilience and become more resilient myself because I was so used to being able to, you know, just go to the supermarket whenever I needed to and had to learn, no, you've got to be really organised, like, you know, and get your groceries every couple of weeks and make things last and be more thrifty and, yeah, so. But there was um, there was a really nice coffee shop in town. <laughs> so How I about still it? Go get a- <laughs> yeah, so that was really great. Yeah. How far was it to the to the nearest? Like, how far did you have to drive to get your groceries? Well, we um, if we wanted to go to Mount Isa or Cloncurry, it was about a fourteen hour round trip. So, yeah, we generally just got them delivered. But there was a little post office that had and petrol station, so you could get basics like milk and all of those things. So you could you could always find find a way to rustle something up if you'd run out of groceries. Now that you don't live in Burktown, do you miss it? Um, I don't know. I don't know if I miss it, but I definitely have very fond memories of it. Like it, it changed. Like it definitely changed me as a person, and it'll always, I'll always have a little bit of that in me because I don't know. And I think that I understand like a lot more like the challenges and stuff of living in a country town I do I think the things I miss are very specific like being able to go out on the salt pans at night and see the Milky Way like the stars are just unbelievable and yeah you don't have to do winter (laughs) but yeah definitely miss certain aspects of it but I don't miss not being able to swim in the ocean (laughs) I bet It's a fair way to the ocean there. So bus life, why did you decide to take this, that huge step? Um, I think it's just something, you know, you, a lot of people dream of us included, and I really did want to see more of Australia. 
um, I've become really interested in the whole tiny house living thing and lowering my carbon footprint and also living in Burktown, having a greater understanding of how little you actually need to be happy. So we'd already started downsizing. So it was a pretty easy process to downsize that little bit further. Um, yeah, and I just wanted to experience that kind of freedom. And I think I had some very preconceived ideas that were quickly dispelled. You know, you see all these van life accounts on Instagram <laughs> and let me tell you, <laughs> that's a fantasy, <laughs> I think, for most people, because it's so hard, you know, if you're living in a small space to, you know, keep it looking pristine and perfect all the time. And for every day that you're parked up, you know, next to a magnificent beach or headland, there's another night that you're sleeping in a, you know, what they call the off the highway, like in a, you know, in a truck stop. Area. In a truck stop, exactly, you know, trying to get some sleep. So there's definitely like a lot of, you know, different things. But yeah, I'm just, I'm really glad that we did it. But I think, um, yeah, it's hard to sort of exactly put my finger on. But I think as well, the other big thing for me um, with, with what I do, I'm really inspired by nature. And, you know, the name of my business, The Scenic Route, is all about sort of taking the, the path less travelled and stopping to look at all the small details on the way. And we really do try to take the scenic route in the bus and, um, you know, all those roads when you're on a road trip and you think, oh, what's up there? What's down there? Like we, we take those roads and sometimes, you know, we get stuck <laughs> or something in our bus and we, you know, maybe it wasn't such a great idea to take that particular scenic route, but generally it's really worthwhile. And I just love, you know, that whole sort of thing of, yeah, just having total freedom and sleeping under the stars every night. And yeah, and Australia is so beautiful. Like it's so inspiring and the landscape changes so much and the colours. So, yeah. So you're speaking to me from Sydney today. Is it a comfort to you that you are able to return to a bricks and mortar house, even though most of your life is on the bus? It is. And I think, um, like, you know, it's, sorry, start again. Um, It is a real comfort to be able to return to that, but it's not always possible. And so, for example, when COVID hit and there was the lockdown um, and rightly so, you know, you couldn't just kick your tenants out. Um, And so we actually didn't really have anywhere to go and we were stuck in the bus and that was all a bit challenging. Um, But now we're in Sydney just for um, my partner's had some health issues and one of the other challenges of being on the road is looking after your health and being able to see doctors. So we're making the most of that. Um, But we are really enjoying the luxury of being in an apartment while we're here. But, yeah, we're definitely looking forward to getting back out on the road (laughs) because during (laughs) during COVID, where were you? Um, so we, um, when the lockdown started, we were actually in the Sunshine Coast hinterland um, and then all overnight, all of the um, legal camping places were closed and there wasn't much information given on what you should do. They just said to go home. But there's a huge amount of people, including grey nomads and lots of backpackers and stuff that were just on the road full time. So it was a bit of a weird few days before they realized you know we're going to need to make some exceptions for these people 
So we were kicked out of our um, camping spot and we ended up getting taken in by a local bowling club that let us camp, <laughs> like park our bus out the back of the bowling club and use their showers and stuff. Um, we ended up finding um, through a Facebook group, uh, Caravan Park um, in the Whitsundays um, who were closed but were looking for a couple who were willing to do some work, a couple of hours work each day in exchange staying there. Um, and he just wanted to find someone in our position who was, you know, full-time on the road. And yeah, so we ended up spending, um, driving up, I think in two days <laughs> um, from the Sunshine Coast to the Whitsundays and um, yeah, spending lockdown there basically. And it was in a beautiful national park and um, we have our dog with us. So it was dog friendly, luckily. And she was delighted because she got to run around this empty caravan park and did a lot of painting and my partner still has um, calluses on his hands from whippersnipping and <laughs> hedge trimming. Yeah. Oh my gosh, how heaven. You had the Whit Sundays and I imagine there weren't many people there at that time as well. It was completely empty. We had oh. the place pretty much to ourselves. So I think we, you know, us and a million sandflies and mozzies. <laughs> so it wasn't completely <laughs> idyllic. <laughs> So, Victoria, what came first, the bus or your business, the scenic route? Uh, my business definitely came first. Um, so my background is in fashion and textile design um, and I had been working um, as a textile designer for quite a commercial fashion business in Australia um, and it's, it's a really great job. I got to go to work and draw every day. Um, and then I started working remotely um, when we moved to Coffs Harbour. So my office was in Sydney, but I would work from home in Coffs. So I got used to that kind of lifestyle. And then, I don't know, I just started the scenic route um, because as a little creative project on the side, not initially as a business, because I think when you're working in commercial fashion and textiles, it's very much trend-based, you know, you're given a mood board, a color palette, and you have a lot of parameters to work in. So occasionally I would get like really fun projects, but a lot of the time, you know, I would be doing a paisley or, you know, something like that. So yeah, I just started drawing literally the birds and flowers that were in my garden. Um, and then I set a little screen printing studio up in my shed and started hand screen printing my own limited edition prints. Um, and then my partner was like, oh, you should, um, why don't you make some greeting cards? You know, my mum loves those. We can send us some for Christmas. And then it sort of started from there and um, it became a little business. And yeah, I think about, about seven or eight months later, I decided to go full-time with the scenic route. So that was a little bit of a leap of faith, but yeah, I'm really glad I did it. I can't remember where I discovered your stuff. I know it was through an ABC story, I think, when you were living in Burktown. And I just was so taken by your illustrations and your and the fact that you were creating such beauty on fabrics from Burktown. Um, what does the business look like now? Is it not, uh, my guess is it's most definitely not a little business anymore. Tell me about the success of it over time. Well, it, it sort of started to grow quite a bit. And at one point I was doing, you know, quite a large range of products. So I have my greeting card range. Um, I do calendars um, where I donate a portion of 
the profits to Rainforest Rescue. Um, I have tea towels. I had cosmetic bags and candles and all sorts of things. And um, then I started to do fabric. And the fabric is, you know, it's my true love. And I thought I'll try, you know, I'm making fabric to make my cosmetic bags. So I'll try and um, see if anyone wants to buy it by the meter. And so that's really taken off. Um, and I actually even had a, a small range of fabric in Spotlight where I licensed the designs. So just partly because of being on the road um, and partly because I just had a bit of a moment where I was like, do I want a really big business? Is that actually what I want? So I've kind of taken it back a bit and I've phased out some of the other products and now I'm mainly focusing on the fabrics and the greeting cards and just trying to do those really well because I realised essentially um, I just want a business that's enough to support me and because my partner's taking a little sabbatical from his work while we're on the road, um, he's actually come on board and is helping me with some of the admin and all of that side, which is amazing. Um, but yeah, so right now I'd say it's still a small business and, you know, I, I don't really have that need for like endless growth. I actually just want to make, you know, what I need. Um, so we'll see how that goes. <laughs> but yeah. What's your dream with the fabric? Where would you like to see it used? Oh, I think for me, like I actually just love the fact that so many small makers use it and giving people access to that because often, you know, like huge companies can like afford to pay like a designer to design like a beautiful collection and no one else has access. Whereas I actually love the fact that, you know, you've got small makers that will come and they, you know, do their beautiful fashion ranges and homewares ranges and all their products um, on, you know, using my designs and, that also really appeals to me just for, you know, I've got quite a, a lot of environmental concerns and it's one of the reasons that I sort of chose to leave the fashion industry because I just feel like, you know, there's so much waste and so much, you know, huge production and a lot of stuff ends up going into landfill. And I think with the smaller makers, you know, people really treasure those, those objects and garments that are made. So, yeah, that's something that's really close to my heart. I mean, I wouldn't turn down working with a larger company and I think something I would love to do one day is like bedding, mm. you know, if somebody amazing, like, I don't know, Kip and Co or someone like that approached me and wanted to do bedding, I definitely wouldn't say no. But, yeah, I think um, I do really love working with the small designers and makers and labels and giving them that option as well your fabric is made to be bedding it's just so so beautiful I'm I love it <laughs> uh, <laughs> I I'm not sure if this is you and this is a question that I just thought of then so you don't have to answer it but am I right in thinking that um at towards the end of last year one of your fabrics or one of your fabrics, something that looks exactly like one of your fabrics, is used by a really big fashion house like Gucci or? Yeah. Yeah. I won't say the name. <laughs> a very well-known Italian fashion label um, basically pulled a design off the portfolio on my website um, and 
Yeah, it was a really weird experience. And I have been copied before, but never that blatantly and never that, you know, yeah, it was pretty horrible. Mm. And I actually felt physically sick when I when I saw it. But in the end, I mean, and, the, you know, I'd prefer not to say the name or even what the print is because I really thought about it and, you know, a few people were saying, oh, you should try and sue them and, and things like that. But I actually spoke to a, a few people I know who've had similar experiences who all said the same thing, which was you're not going to win. Mm. It's so unlikely that you will ever win or even get an acknowledgement and the amount of stress involved you know, to do it isn't worth it. And I'm sure there's probably examples where people do manage to to win in these situations. But yeah, it was quite, yeah, so I chose to just kind of not go, not go down that path. But yeah, it did, did make me think a bit about, you know, I don't really, I think the problem was if it was a design for the scenic route, I would have fought harder for it. Because you know, but it was quite an old design and it was a design that I did for another company years ago. Um, so I was like, well, you know, it's kind of up to that other company. If they see it, do I want to get involved in this? Do I mm. want the stress? So I did kind of let it go. Yeah, but it does make me think like, you know, hopefully that doesn't happen again, but it probably will. And, you know, in the future, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, I think, I hate conflict and I hate all that stuff. So I'm just like, oh, just let it go. It's so it's so ethically wrong and exactly that. Um, uh, I mean, I've never had that experience, but the sheer size and velocity of some of these companies makes anything like that um, prohibitive to take on, which is really, um, really sad. Can you t- when when did you see it? Uh, tell me a little bit about that moment. How did you discover that it had been used? Somebody sent me a message on Instagram and said, uh, and I'm so-and-so celebrity is wearing a jumper with your print on. Did you, how did that happen? And I was like, what? And so I went to that celebrity's page and there was a video with a million views mm. and thousands of people commenting underneath, cool jumper. Wow, awesome jumper, you know, and everybody was like, sort of focusing actually sweater because it was an American one but yeah and then I sort of just did a bit of a Google thing because I was like okay this is so strange and then I figured out pretty quickly you know who who'd copied it and it's pretty galling it was like being retailed at like a thousand dollars this jumper and then Mm. I saw that it was actually over the whole collection on Mm. my shirt t-shirts so yeah it was pretty um and I just went into a deep dive and I sort of spiraled and then I think I posted because I was like maybe I'm maybe I'm not right so I think I posted something in a Facebook group well-known Facebook group I'm in immediately got bombarded with yep they've copied you sue 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 then I deleted the post because I and I thought Mm -hmm. if I can't even handle the comments on a post that was up for 20 minutes how am I going to handle you know the the negativity surrounding that so Yeah. yeah that's where I saw it that's where I saw it in the Facebook group group um yes and it was on the runway wasn't it Mm -hmm. that's where yes yeah anyway I'm so sorry to keep talking about it but it is just okay I'm just nervous to even do you know what I think I even got so nervous that I was like I don't even want to say their name because what if they sue me for defamation and Mm. I'm probably too nervous but you know Mm. you've Mm. heard of that 
happening. Just taking a small breather from my interview with Victoria to tell you about the sponsor for this autumn series of company. The Grampians Goods Co is inspired by the rugged grandeur of the Grampians region in regional Victoria. Haven't been there yet? It's definitely on the list. Its founder, Amanda, creates and curates natural lifestyle products and practical luxe apparel. And they are all just gorgeous. You know that I love a female-founded rural Aussie brand and the Grampians Goods Co products are cleverly curated to help you experience adventure through a uniquely feminine lens. I've been saving my pennies to purchase a recycled wool tartan blanket for a while now, just so I can snuggle up on a winter's afternoon on the couch. There's also a non-toxic, self-nurturing aromatherapy candle range, as well as soaps and... I'll tell you more about this later, but I'm so looking forward to Amanda's exciting new range of cosy products coming out soon, including hot water bottle covers, new blanket styles, and a bespoke blend of salted hot chocolate. Yum, yum, yum. As an exclusive for company listeners, Amanda has set up a special discount code for you. Enter company10 at the checkout for 10% off your purchase for a limited time. So you mentioned that, yes, you have to sort of be very organized about it um, because logistically when you're in the bus, um, you can't handle that amount of fabric. Do you work when you're in the bus and how do you manage that? I do. So it really depends. um, Some, you know, the days we're actually traveling, it can be a bit trickier because we like to get up super early, especially when we're in Queensland and it's so hot. So sort of get up super early and be on the road before nine. And then I tend to just sort of check my emails on my phone while we're on the road or sometimes, you know, I actually get my laptop out and hotspot my phone yeah. in the front seat. Um, but and like unless it's anything super urgent, um, I'll wait till we get to our destination. Um, I tend to work when we're on the road about four hours a day. Um, so, yeah, just... Um, the hardest thing is it just depends on the weather basically. And if it's super hot and super sunny, it's like just actually finding somewhere shady enough that I can work. But then if it's really rainy and cloudy and there's no, um, cause we were completely solar powered, there's no sun, then you can't charge up anything. So that can be a challenge as well, but I have a very limited, small setup. Um, and I've had to really streamline my work. So now I, um, have my pencil case, like with all my pens and pencils, uh, sketchbook. Um, and then I have my laptop, uh, my Wacom tablet and a little mini scanner. And that's it. So I used to do a lot more hand painting um, before I went in the bus. Um, but now I color everything digitally in Photoshop because, yeah, it's just it's just space is just so limited. So I can't really carry huge amount of supplies I do have I do have a little watercolor set that I sometimes rock out (laughs) but yeah do you miss that Um, the tactileness of actually painting I do and but I kind of know one day I'll have that again and I do yeah I yearn one day I'll have a studio again where you can get really messy and for me like the work I do with um you know, is one thing, but I actually, I love painting just for myself. 
where I don't even have to show anyone, like just as a creative thing, but I like to get quite messy, you know, on canvas and be quite expressive. And it's so different to my actual work for my business. So I miss that too, like having a, you know, when I had my, my shed, I called it the lady, lady cave. And I would just go in and have an easel set up and just paint the most terrible paintings probably, but just for fun. And yeah, I miss that. And screen Um. printing. Screen printing is so equipment heavy and I actually um, I don't I'm having a dilemma at the moment because I have my screen printing equipment at my mum's in my mum's garage taking up a huge amount of room and I think I'm going to have to sell it because it's just Mm. move house. (laughs) We've got lots of room here you can you can put it here if you like. We'll we'll take it offline. Uh, I have so I have so many questions for you. Um, so I'm interested to know in downsizing, what items do you have? Um, well, not too many. I mean, the Just less to live life. Like, what are the, what are your essentials? And how many clothes do you have? <laughs> I have, um, I sort of rotate about 12 different pieces of clothing, not including undies. (laughs) Um, And it's always just the most comfortable. I have two or three nice things like nice tops or dresses. And then the rest has to just be practical stuff because, you know, you just, there's no good if you're in a muddy campsite, you know, and you've got like a nice floaty dress on, um, but yeah, and I and a lot of moo-moos as well. I find them really they cover a multitude of sins. <laughs> um, but I have got so when I came back to Sydney because I yeah my poor mum I left a lot of stuff with her, um, and I was going through some things the other day actually, and you know I've got all these because when I used to live in London and. So if I have all these amazing clothes and I'm like, when am I ever going to wear this again? But I've narrowed it down and narrowed it down some things I just can't part with. But, yeah, in the bus, I soon learned that the less things you have, the happier and more harmonious you are. So we even just have two bowls, two plates, two cups, like two sets of cutlery. We've just minimised everything. There's a few things that are non-negotiable. Like I have a little stovetop coffee machine and an actual coffee grinder, 12-volt coffee grinder, so I can make a fresh, fresh espresso. Um, that's our routine here too. We, Yeah, that's how we have our coffee. It's the best. It's absolutely the best. And, you know, I think, um, yeah, there's a few things like that, little luxuries, but in general, you know, you need to, it's at first, like we would um, have to do like a weekly cull at first because we're like, do we need this? Do we need that? You know, and we just, the more stuff we got rid of, then you can actually, you know, be organised and stuff because, yeah, it's like, well, you know, when you go camping and like everything is sort of really hard to get to and just doing anything is such an ordeal. If you if you have lots of stuff, it can be like that in the bus. So, yeah, I'm all about minimising and just having as few things as possible. <laughs> yeah. I'd love to learn a bit more about where you grew up and your childhood. Sure. Um, well, I was born in England. Um, my parents are English and Irish and we moved to Australia when I was six um, to Sydney um, in the Northern Beaches. 
Um, and I had a pretty ordinary Sydney childhood. So, yeah, I've always been a bit of a daydreamer. I've always loved making things and drawing and making up stories. Um, my dad was really into fishing and bushwalking, so he would take us out to the National Park a lot when we were kids and he had a little tinny that we would go around pit water in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I loved being in nature, you know, and even like I remember um my brother used to play soccer and go into watching play soccer, but just being like sitting there, like making daisy chains and like not really being interested. Yeah. But um, I went to, um, I've always been like a reader. So I think at school I was kind of the nerdy kid sitting in the playground, reading a book or in the library, they let me in. <laughs> and Yeah. So I think pretty, pretty normal, but always, always been very interested in, creative stuff and and very good at solitude I think even as a kid and where do you think that comes from I honestly don't know and my fam like you know my family there's no one else really super creative (laughs) and everyone's like you know you were changeling like where did it come (laughs) from um but yeah I just think just intrinsically I've always had that and I don't know always been happiest just pottering and and doing things on my own like I think yeah my grandmother was a seamstress um an amazing seamstress and she taught me how to sew when I was really young um so I always um you know loved making things and sewing and my other granny um and granddad were really into bird watching and nature and so always had a bit of a fascination and would tell me about all the different birds and stuff but yeah, I'm not really sure where it came from. <laughs> Were they? Did your grandparents live in Australia? No, so they both mm. lived in in England. So I just that's just from an early age, and then um, reconnecting um, when I was a bit older with my grandparent, uh, my grandparents um, in Norfolk, um, who love bird watching. But um, my other granny from Ireland who was the seamstress used to come to Australia to visit but she died when I was quite young so I just have really beautiful memories of her coming and you know yeah teaching me teaching how to make clothes for all my dolls and and stuff how beautiful (laughs) so yeah tell me a little bit about um you obviously went to school and how did you become involved in fashion and also you you have a bit of an English accent so um how did that I and you've mentioned London before, so I'm imagining that you spent a bit of time over there too. So, yeah, lead me through what happened since you sort of left school. Um, yeah, so I always loved art at school um, and I studied, um, I applied to uni um, at SCA, like Sydney College of the Arts, to study painting. Um, it didn't really suit me, I think, and I had that thing of like, how am I ever going to make money as an artist and, you know, all of that. So, um, I changed over to do textile design um, and fashion design at TAFE, which suited me a lot more because it was just much more hands-on. When I was at uni doing art, it was so much about writing essays and explaining your motivation for the piece. You didn't really have to make anything. And I just wanted to get stuck into, you know, making things. Um, so, yeah, after I left TAFE, I bought myself a one-way ticket to London <laughs> via um Vietnam so I spent a few months in Vietnam and then ended up in London I I actually spent a year then traveling Europe and 
island hopping in Greece and working in cocktail bars there. Ended up back in London after having a brilliant time and then decided to stay And because um, I had my British passport. Um, and I applied for some internships working with different um, sort of more um, alternative fashion designers, like not famous mainstream ones, but I learned so much from them. I worked for an amazing lady for um, a year called Michelle Loholder, who's a incredible designer. And she back, so this was back in 2003, and she was pioneering, you know, eco fashion and design and using recycled materials back then, like she's a real trailblazer and she taught me so much. Mm. Um, yeah, and I worked for a few different people like that, um, ended up starting a textile studio with a few of her friends. I had my own fashion label for a while um, while I lived in London. Um, what was it called? called? It was called Neurotica, <laughs> um, which was really cool. Um, it was sold in Topshop and like actually really well um and then the global financial crisis happened um which hit retail really hard and I actually ended up having to close my business um over there for quite a few reasons and it just seemed time to come back to Australia so yeah um I think I was there for nine years in total um and we came back I dragged my partner back <laughs> he was very happy to come to Australia mm-hmm. and yeah, and we've been here ever since and, you know, and like just ended up working for some different fashion labels here before starting the scenic group. So when did when did illustration become part of your life and drawing? Um, I think so this is super specific, but <laughs> when I was in year five, I had this amazing teacher called Miss Epper. I'll never forget her. I'm sure everyone has that teacher. And she decided that she was going to start a class called creativity class. And all you would do is creativity. And she would just set a thing like draw an imaginary animal and like have all, you know, things. So every week you just draw something like really creative and make up a whole story about it. And so, yeah, I just, I think that really, um, you know, opened up like this love of of drawing for me. Um, But yeah, I didn't do a huge amount until I think when I started my fashion label I tend to like I'm quite cyclical with how I work so at the moment I've just started a new range so I sort of divide my week so Mondays um, is like admin day Um, I sit with Darren my partner and like we go through everything um, you know just check on the stock take and all of those things and then Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday are my drawing days where I'm working on the new collection and I just, the way I work is I just sit and hand draw loads and loads of elements that could be for anything and like I do some research and put together, you know, my own little mood board Um, but I'm working on a collection that's all based on the Barrier Reef um, right now so I spent quite a bit of time in Port Douglas um, last year while we were travelling and you know, met some amazing people and including marine biologists and people that work out on the reef. And yeah, I'm lucky enough to to go and see it. So yeah, I'm just drawing like fish and coral and turtles and like, you know, particularly some endangered species. So that will be my new range. And I'll be really sad, you know, when it comes time to then put the range together because I'm in the good bit. I do love drawing, but yeah, I think I wish I got to draw every day and it's definitely my happy place, but 
it seems more like a luxury than yeah an everyday occurrence oh I know I wish I could draw I feel like I could draw I can draw a little bit but I um and, and I wish it was more part of my day too. Like there's nothing better than actually finding time to sit down with a blank bit of paper or in an art book and do some doodling, don't you think? I love doodling. <laughs> I'm such a fun doodler. If I'm on the phone, I'm just like da 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 And then at the end I look down, I'm like, oh, <laughs> what's that? <laughs> what, what do you draw? What's your go-to? I, oh, my go-to is just flowers, lots of flowers, like winding around different things and different petals and very boring I don't know but yeah and like to and joining all the elements up like I I love pattern and I think you know that's that's why I love textiles so much because it's one thing drawing all the elements but then it's somehow putting it together so it repeats and I really like to try and make it so it's a bit seamless so people look at it and they go oh what is the repeat end and I do tricky things like flipping things around and half drops and all sorts of stuff to to get the repeats. <laughs> so I love talking also about routines. I do it every time I interview someone here. Tell me a little bit about your daily routine when you're in the bus. So I try most days um, to get up before sunrise to meditate. Um, and ideally I like to meditate for about an hour. Um, and then the rest of the day really depends on the weather, but ideal day when everything's going well is get up, um, then take meditate, take the dog for a little walk somewhere, take her for a spin, um, come back. If we're near a beach, then go for a swim um, as my morning shower <laughs> and then come back and have breakfast, have coffee um yeah and then either if we're planning to stay somewhere for the day you know getting to wherever that place is or if we're already there just staying there um yeah and then um you know I usually work from like about 9 30 till 12 have a nice long leisurely lunch and lunch is really like our main meals the day where we tend to go all out and I think that's really nice because you know, especially for my partner who has always worked to nine to five. I've been working from home for a few years, but just making something really nice and nourishing for lunch. And then, yeah, work again in the afternoon from about 1.30 till four o'clock. And then after four, yeah, just rinse and repeat, dog walk, <laughs> meditation, bit of yoga if, if there's somewhere to do it. Um, and yeah, just we tend to go to bed quite early as well when we're in the bus. So um, if we've got internet access, we'll sometimes watch something on the laptop if we've got a show. And um, when we're in lockdown, we we were saved by MasterChef. That would be our daily trick. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if not, read a book and then, yeah, in bed quite early. And we usually just have a pretty simple, simple dinner, um, leftovers from lunch. <laughs> Are you much of a reader? I love reading. I'm a voracious reader. So, and I have been since I was a kid. Um, and I like, I actually have really eclectic tastes. And the truth is I, I go to charity shops and I'll just be like, yep, this looks good. This looks good. You know, and I will just pretty much grab anything that catches my fancy and I can read anything from like um, science fiction to historical fantasy um, chick, 
chiclet is that what they call it mm-hmm. which I think is a bit new. Uh, but I'll, I'll read anything I love reading it's really my happy place so where to next um in the bus when you get back on the road again well, the plan is um, we're going to head um, south um, through down to Victoria. Um, this is obviously, yeah, all hopefully borders and everything will be open. Um, so we want to take basically the coast all the way around um, coast of South Australia to Western Australia. Um, and then probably, oh gosh, my partner's much better with the itinerary than me, but I think he wants to be... Um, in the west coast but fairly north for next winter um so we'll take that amount basically of time to get there and then um yes come back next winter or this winter winter. probably oh actually it depends i think we don't want to be anywhere too north for summer because it gets so hot so we we sort of tend to backtrack on ourselves a bit and spend a lot of time in places we love Um, But we're planning to spend up to two years um, doing like all the way to Western Australia to as far north as we can get and then come back the inland way. Um, So through the Nullarbor and and through inland Victoria Mm. to come back. That could all change. But we're hoping to do a full loop because when we're in Burktown, we did see a lot of that side of the country and we went up to the Northern Territory and Kakadu. So we'd like to see the rest. So. Mm. Who knows though really like there's no kind of definite definite plan and we're lucky because we're pretty flexible living the dream do you plan to go to Esperance absolutely that is one of the the big things on our wish list (laughs) (laughs) the big ticket items I used to live in Esperance I lived there for three months and I think it's my favourite place in Australia. It's so isolated and it is so beautiful. It's, yeah, you want to be there when the whales are coming up or coming down. Wait, Mm. yeah. Really, um, there's so many places that I want to go. And, yeah, we don't like to make too concrete a plan because it just kind of, and we really learned that in COVID, anything can happen. Borders can close and, Mm. you know, it can yeah so we're just gonna see but we when we see all the places we haven't been it's just mind-blowing like we've got so much more to see and Australia is so big and yeah I want to see it all (laughs) my final question is uh is is there a final destination for the bus or are you on the road forevermore oh I don't know. I think part of our quest is finding that place that we want to be. And we've seen so many amazing places already, but I want to see it all before I make my decision. So what I would like is to just find that place, somewhere where you can park the bus so it's still there, Um, you know, a little house or something. I don't know exactly. And then still have the bus so you can go traveling, but have a base eventually when we find our favorite place that we can live. So, yeah. And I don't know where that is yet, but yeah, we, if we find it, I'll definitely let you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's been so nice to talk to you, Victoria. Um, best of luck on your travels. And I just so look forward to seeing your uh, prints pop up in more places in the future. Thank you so much, Sky. It's been my pleasure. (laughs) 
That's Victoria McGrain from The Scenic Route. I hope you enjoyed her story as much as I did. I'd love to be living my life with my children out of a bus, but I know that I am just totally not brave enough to take the plunge like she has. I so enjoyed talking to her that after our chat, I did extend the invitation of a mini lodging on our farm at Gunning for Victoria and her partner, because I really think that she would love it here. And so hopefully one day we do see her here. You can see her work at The Scenic Route on Instagram. Thank you to The Grampians Goods Co. for partnering with Manson and Company for this autumn series of the podcast. I'll be looking forward to chatting with you again next week, but if you can't wait that long, you can sign up to the Company on Sunday newsletter, which is full of podcast recommendations, lovely things to read on a Sunday, hopefully in bed, maybe with a cup of tea in hand, and new people to follow on Instagram. You can sign up on my website, mansonandcompany.com.